Coming up on today's episode of The Virtual Couch, it's New Year's resolution time. But wait, there's a new sheriff in town. This year, it's going to be different. And I mean it. Put acceptance and commitment therapy into your New Year's resolutions and watch them take off. That and more coming up on today's episode of The Virtual Couch. Okay, before we get started today, I believe I am going to present to you my very favorite email of all time with regard to BetterHelp.com. And it reads, Tony, I get it. You have a book. (laughs) Sorry, that makes me laugh right out of the gate. But what's with not airing the BetterHelp.com info before your podcasts? I feel feel like I'm talking talking to text. I wanted to tell you that there was a question mark after that. But anyway, back to the email. I found BetterHelp.com thanks to your ads before your podcast. Thanks to BetterHelp.com, I was able to find someone that could help me understand and deal better with my ADHD. I would love it if you would continue to air the BetterHelp.com ads before your podcast because that is the way that you are going to continue to help more people. I know the book is going to be good and I plan on getting it when it's in electronic format. Don't get me wrong. I really want to hear you and your co-authors take on pornography, addiction, and betrayal trauma, but I don't want that necessarily laying around on my coffee table. Do you see why I love this email? So, I can't wait to get the book, and I promise you I will write a wonderful review when I do. But for now, can you make sure and put the BetterHelp.com ad before your podcast because it has literally changed my life. I was going to do it again. I was going to say period. Before I heard your ad, I had never been to a therapist. And quite frankly, I was going to go to my grave without ever going to therapy. But thanks to BetterHelp.com, I really was able to quickly find someone that I have fit with who can help me with my ADHD. Thank you for all of the work that you do. And please let other people know that BetterHelp.com can literally change their life. And P.S. It's pretty affordable. Okay. Thank you for that email. Now you can understand why I really wanted to read that one. And uh, in particular, he talks about ADHD, and that's something that we're talking about on today's podcast. Um, I guess I just made this ad a non-evergreen. So if you hear this one and the next, the episode is not about ADHD, please know that I just got a little bit lazy and put this one before because I really like the content of this email, but you'll enjoy the, the, the episode, whatever is coming up next. But go check out what over 500,000 people have already done before. Sign up now by going to betterhelp.com slash virtualcouch, V-I-R-T-U-A-L-C-O-U-C-H, and get the help that you need or that you didn't even know that you needed today. There's a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's counselor network. As you heard in this email, you can find somebody that knows that speaks fluent ADHD or people that work with OCD, anxiety, depression, you name it. The service is available for clients worldwide. You can log on to your account at any time and send a message to your counselor, and you'll get a timely and thoughtful response. And you can schedule weekly video phone sessions. You won't have to sit in an, you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room, as with traditional therapy. BetterHelp will assess your needs, match you with your own licensed professional therapist, and oftentimes you can start communicating in under 24 hours. Which I will tell you that can be difficult. There are times where I may not be able to get somebody in for a few weeks. So in under 24 hours is, is incredible. Um, and if you do go through betterhelp.com slash virtual couch, you'll receive 10% off your first month services. So what are you waiting for? You owe it to yourself at the very least to just go check it out. Go ahead, pause the podcast right now and go do it. I'm not going anywhere, but I think you are going to enjoy today's episode. So once again, betterhelp.com slash virtual couch. Try it today.
seven or eight. Uh, thank you for tuning in to episode 174 of the Virtual Couch. I'm your host, Tony Overbay. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, certified mindful habit coach, writer, speaker, husband, father, four, ultra marathon runner, and co-author of the best-selling book, He's a Porn Addict, Now What? An expert and a former addict to answer your questions, in which I play the role of the expert, and I'm creator of The Path Back, an online pornography recovery program that is helping people reclaim their lives from the harmful effects of pornography. If you or anyone that you know is struggling to put pornography or any type of compulsive sexual behavior behind them once and for all, and trust me, it can be done in a strength-based hold the shame, become the person you always knew you could be way, then please head over to pathbackrecovery.com. There you can download a short ebook that describes five common mistakes that people make when trying to get rid of pornography once and for all. Again, that's pathbackrecovery.com. I made it. Uh, it wasn't quite the seventh or eighth take, but I was definitely on about four or five. And I was I was determined at that point to, to power through. And please visit Virtual Couch on Instagram, as well as the Virtual Couch page on Facebook, or the Tony Overbay Licensed Marriage and Family Therapist page on Facebook as well. And if you have a minute and you've enjoyed any of the Virtual Couch podcast material, especially over the last few months, um, please do me a favor and rate, review, subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast. Share it with a friend if there's some uh, topic that you feel can help someone. Um, I, get a lot, you know, I get a lot of emails, and I love that. absolutely love that. And I've noticed, the reason I kind of say the last few months, I think just as the podcast continues to grow, I'm getting a lot of podcasts, uh, a lot of email feedback from people who say that a friend sent them the episode or... Uh, well, basically that, or somebody in their family shared an episode with them, and and then they've they've kind of gone on and binged on some episodes and that sort of thing. So, of course, I'm always grateful for that. And uh, Salt Lake City, I'm coming to speak at the Outlier Podcast Festival on Saturday, January 25th, and I can't wait. And I'm speaking on a subject that I am very familiar with, the dreaded imposter syndrome, and how truly living in podcasting in this sense from your values is absolutely necessary in order just to live a far more authentic empowered life. And you can find out more at outlierpodfest.com and go take a look at the show notes. I I have a coupon code if you want to attend the podcast festival, the Outlier Podcast Festival. I think it gets you 15% off your ticket for the podcast festival. And I had mentioned, I've already got a little bit of feedback here. I'm looking at possibly speaking at a fireside on Sunday the 26th. And the plans are definitely a little bit up in the air. So if you happen to be in a position where you uh, may want to have me come speak either to your congregation during the day on Sunday the 26th, or maybe a fireside that evening, please just uh, drop me an email at contact at tonyoverbay.com. And I would absolutely love to squeeze the most out of every minute that I am there. All right, so this is uh, today. I'm going to do a little bit of talk on resolutions, and what I had what I had talked about doing last week was bringing back. Um, I believe it's episode 97, which is the episode last year where I talked about New Year's resolutions and acceptance and commitment therapy. And uh, I, I've honestly always wanted to go back and take an episode and maybe re-record the intro or get rid of some of the things that might not be as applicable, and then just dive right into the the topic. So, let's get right to that. Here is an encore presentation of acceptance and commitment therapy and New Year's resolutions. So today I want to talk about New Year's resolutions. Don't turn that dial. We're going all evidence-based data on this. We're going to use acceptance and commitment therapy to change the way you view resolutions, that sort of thing. I realized when I did a podcast on this last year, I wasn't um, banging my acceptance and commitment therapy drum as hard as I have been the last year because the it works. And uh, so many people, have. it's kind of... Um, 
they've connected with acceptance and commitment therapy. So I want to get to that. I think it's going to change the way that you set and achieve, accomplish your resolutions. But first, the data. I love this. And the hard part is you can find so much data on New Year's resolution stat statistics. And this morning, I even did one of those things where I wanted to get some stats before I, I went to record. And oh, what a rabbit hole. I mean, I, there were a couple of sites that looked like they had this great data, but then I have to sign up for a, 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 a subscription or an account. And then the account leads me to something else. And all of a sudden, then I'm bailing out of that. And just a couple of rabbit holes that I went on. But um, I basically dug up. I ended, it was funny. I ended up finding the statistics that I found for the most part last year. And uh, so here's what they were. Most people made several resolutions. 60% of, uh, 67% of people made three or more resolutions. Increasing the amount of exercise that one did was the most common primary resolution. Over 37% of people making resolutions made the resolution of increasing the amount of exercise. And people made more resolutions to start or increase a behavior, 84%, than to stop or decrease something, 16%. And uh, I, and I personally am, am more of a, hey, let's do something instead of trying to stop something because stopping something inevitably, and we'll talk about this in a minute, when when one maybe doesn't continually stop something, then they feel guilt. And then they go into those stories the brain will tell them of, see, I couldn't do this anyway. So I love the concept of uh, making a resolution to start a behavior. The most interesting thing is only 65% made their resolutions between December 28th and New Year's Day. So the rest made pledges as they, that they consider to be New Year's resolutions as early as in May and as late as the end of January. So if you don't make your resolutions before um, the Dick Clark's New Year's Rock and Eve ball drops on Times Square, it is perfectly okay. No one is going to come knock on your door and arrest you if you haven't made your resolution by the, by New Year's Eve or by, by January 1st at 1201. Um, nor will you get in trouble if you make it then that next day. So here's the big one. Um, persistence pays off. Of those who successfully achieved their top resolutions, only 40% of them did so on the first attempt. The rest made multiple tries with 17% finally succeeding after more than six attempts. That's significant. And again, we're going to talk about that. Okay, so let's introduce the concept of acceptance and commitment therapy into the New Year's resolution fray. So if you're not familiar with acceptance and commitment therapy, I highly recommend you going back and listening to um, several of the podcasts that I've done on acceptance and commitment therapy. But in a nutshell, here's how it works. We, we are going to set a goal. You're going to set a goal. And so obviously a New Year's resolution is going to be some type of goal. Now, before we even get to that goal setting, one of the most important things you can do is, is go do a values exercise. And, uh, I'm going to put a link on the show notes here of a wonderful, free downloadable worksheet from the book that I love called The Confidence Gap by Russ Harris, which I highly recommend. The Confidence Gap is not just a book about confidence, but it's a acceptance and commitment therapy manual and uh, has all the evidence-based data around acceptance and commitment therapy and just has extremely good practical data on how to um, put acceptance and commitment therapy principles into your life. But the, it is so important to go do a values exercise. And here's the big thing about doing a values exercise. There are so many values that sound wonderful and fantastic in this in this downloadable um, PDF file that you can go through and look at your values. I think there's 57 values on there and, and almost all of them are going to resonate with you to some point. Values everything from assertiveness to authenticity to um, humor to adventure to creativity to um, being uh, mindful of the moment to freedom to all of these things. And when I'm working with clients, one of the first things that I say is, I want to do the values exercise with you individually. I don't even want your spouse to be a part of this, which I know can sound anti-marriage therapy, but here's why. 
because out of these 57 values on this one particular downloadable PDF file that get, that goes through your values, if you're sitting there and and let's just say that uh, in, in honesty is one that when honesty comes up, if, if a lot of people are going to go with that's going to be a very core value. But what if what if it's not? Because what if honesty to you is you grew up in a family where people were quote you know brutally honest, where it was like, look, I'm just being honest, and that was used as a weapon. Then that honesty, you know, that do I look fat in these jeans? Um, what do you think about my haircut? Those sort of things. If that if you grew up with that being something that that honestly, it, honestly, that it, it was used as a weapon, it, it hurt people. Then honesty is going to be something that you are you support, but it's not necessarily. Going to be one of these core values. And I've given the example before of how some of this works. And one of the ones I gave recently, so forgive me if you've heard this, uh, this example before, but I had a client whose goal was making money and uh, he was in a he working in a situation where he was making money, but he just didn't feel right about the way that they were making money. It wasn't anything illegal, but it was just I don't know the the ethics were a little bit a little bit sketchy. So when we did the values exercise, I mean honesty and authenticity were two of his core values. I mean core values, big time core values. There were stories behind why those were important to him. So he was achieving the goal of making money, but he was going against these core values of honesty and authenticity. Basically, he was working for a company that was upset. Selling some services to to uh, to older people and the services, ah, they, you know, he felt just like he wasn't doing the right thing in upselling some of these services. So he was going against his core values of honesty and authenticity. The reason those were his core values was he grew up in a home with a very narcissistic mom who changed the story all the time. He never knew what was right. I mean, never knew. They could people could ask him. He said somebody could say. Um, where'd you guys go on vacation or what's your favorite vacation? And his mom would, would, you know, it's almost like everybody would look to mom. What story is she going to spend this time? Um, is it going to be something that they really did? Uh, is it the time where they went to Disneyland where he remembers of they were there for a day and a half and everybody fought and, you know, mom was really angry. And now she has embellished the story to this point where they stayed a week and they stayed in the, the Disneyland Grand Hotel and everything was great. And isn't that right, kids? You know, so he lived in this complete world of I can't be honest. I can't be authentic. And so those were his core values. So when we, when we assess this, we did this values exercise. He realized, okay, he really can't work where he is working. And, uh, and again, one of the, one of the simple ones that I gave, did one time, uh, an example was working with a client who was home for the summer and they needed a job. They needed money bad. Their family was in a pretty bad spot and they wanted to continue in college. They had, uh, struggled with filling out some financial aid forms on time. So this person needed a job. They really didn't want to work fast food and, but they got the job fast food, but there is so a we, we, on that one, he just felt like he was just going in, working the grill every day, and he was miserable. So we did a values exercise, and his values were, were adventure, learning, knowledge, uh, fun. And so he, we, we purposely then said, take those values into your current work environment, and now try to work those values into where you're at. And so instead of just sitting there kind of saying, okay, no, I'm the, I'm, I'm the grill guy, you know, don't ask anything else of me. When there was any bit of downtime, he was learning all kinds of stuff, learned the shake machine, learned the fry machine, learned all of these things. And so quickly was able, even in that summer, to kind of rise at the, the fast food establishment he was at, make more money, um, kind of get a little bit better position. And Ali, and really enjoyed it. And, uh, and I think that um, this summer he's probably going to return there. So that was a way of putting your values into a situation and then living by your values. But so in the world of resolutions, though, if you are setting a goal that doesn't adhere 
adhere to your particular values, then that just becomes some rule. It really does. And, uh, and there's so many examples I could give that I think um, illustrate this point. There's another one right now where I work in the world of um, a lot of Christian counseling, um, and a lot of people have this this goal, this goal of, let's say, reading scriptures every day for 15 minutes. But if their value, um, if their, you know, their core values are more about maybe it is this excitement or adventure or that sort of thing, maybe somebody struggles with their attention span, which is something I can definitely, um, understand. Then when they sit there and have, and their, their goal is to spend 15 minutes just reading, um, linearly through, uh, scripture that they are not following, that then they feel like, what's wrong with me? And I don't understand this. And why does everybody else do it? They feel worse at the end of that 15 minutes. But if they play to their values, um, one of the guys I was working with, he gets a couple minutes in and all of a sudden he says, uh, wonder what they wore in that time period. So now he hits Google and then he finds out about that time period. And, and he, you know, then he's okay. I wonder what their foods were. I wonder what their, so now this, this story, these scriptures, this part comes alive to him. And so he's playing to his values. So now that goal has changed. It's not just read for 15 minutes. It's been 15 minutes in study of the scripture and it can look a lot different because that's authentic to him. That's a, uh, that is a goal that is based on his value. So I want you to think of that in terms of do some sort of values exercise before you just set some New Year's resolution or else it is just going to be a rule. And when it's just a rule and it's not a goal based on your values, um, you're going to see here in a minute when we throw the acceptance and commitment therapy principles in there, it's going to be really easy for your brain to kind of lock in and fuse to these. See, I told you you couldn't do a story. And so that's going to be key. So to kind of frame things then, I want to, I want to, there's a, there's a metaphor used in acceptance and commitment therapy. There's a few of them that I really love, but this one is, is I want to set the stage with this one. It's called the mind bully. So this metaphor is specifically meant for people who struggle with particular emotion or, or diagnosis of anger, anxiety, depression, that sort of thing. But I want to kind of frame it in, in regard to resolutions and you'll see why. So in this metaphor, the mind bully is our particular problem and it's an extremely large, extremely strong bully. Uh, matter of fact, go back to scriptural stories, uh, David and Goliath, right? This is Goliath. This thing, this, this person is huge and, uh, mind bully has all kinds of maybe armor and very big, um, talking junk to you, all this sort of thing. So extremely large and strong bully. You are on an opposite side of a pit and you're tugging back and forth on a rope as the mind bully tries to make you fall into the pit. So just imagine this game of tug of war and you are trying with everything you can to pull against this mind bully because the mind bully is trying to bully your mind, trying to tell you all kinds of stuff that uh, isn't true or that you, he, he wants you to believe are true about, I don't know how bad you are. You're not going to do these things. That's the mind bully. You know, the mind bully is saying that you're not going to, yeah, try to set a resolution there, chief. You know, you're not going to accomplish it. But when we pull on the rope, when we listen, we pay attention or even believe this mind mind bully, this kind of monster, what we're actually doing is feeding it. Um, like any petty bully, the mind bully can only harm us if we engage with it or we believe the negative things it says. So is it saying, you know, you call that an effort, you think you're pulling that rope, you know, I could I could pull you into that pit any minute and you're continuing to tug and it's like, I'm going to give it all, all I can. I mean, you're hearing all these uh, nice motivational uh, things going through your head of, you know, just try, just keep trying harder. How bad do you want this? Those sort of things. But instead of pulling on the rope, what do you think would happen if you just drop the rope? Right. If you let go of the rope, the mind bully's still there. He's still hurling his insults and meanness, but it, it can't pull you toward the pit at all. So the less that we feed the mind bully, the the less that we try to engage in the mind bully, the smaller and quieter it will get. I am convinced of that with uh, kind of the cool work that I get to do with um, a couple of uh, wonderful places that do brain scans and, and that sort of thing where your brain will eventually grow tired of trying to fight with you if you're not willing to engage in it, if you're not willing to fight it. So in dealing with difficult problems like anxiety or depression or in this situation, resolutions, 
and doubt if we stop feeding the mind bully and by we just notice it, we acknowledge it, but then we shift our attention away from it instead of believing what it says. Um, and you can do that by engaging in a quick mindfulness exercise, uh, whether it's deep breathing, whether it's refocus, um, whether it's just being really present, whether it's taking the, what the mind bully is saying and just, you know, there's a, a nice, uh, exercise called leaves on a stream where you just take some, taking those thoughts, throwing them on a leaf and just floating them down a stream. Um, whatever you can do is a great way to, to learn how to drop that rope and just drop it, leave the mind bully standing on the other side of the fit of the pit. So I want to kind of frame things with that. So think in terms of this mind bully. So let's go back to if you're, you know, New Year's resolutions. So I, I pulled a article by a researcher called John Norcross, who is a professor of psychology at the University of Scranton, Pennsylvania. Any office fans watched a lot of that over Christmas. I can't lie. Somebody posted a, um, they, the, the title of the post was basically you're welcome. And it was, here's all the Christmas episodes of the office. So we watched a lot of that over the break, which was a lot of fun. But so university of uh, psychology professor at the university of Scranton, who is an expert in behavior change and resolutions did an article that basically said, well, not basically it says, um, when people fail, early slips do not predict failure, says Norcross, who authored the study about resolutions. In fact, many ultimately successful resolvers report, even as they experience them, that early slips strengthen their resolutions. Because what do you do with that data? That's me inserting that point. Here comes the acceptance and commitment therapy model. When you fail um, at something, and fail can sound like a dramatic word, but when you no longer are, are moving forward towards your resolution, what do you do with that data? Do you fuse to the story that your brain's trying to tell you that, oh, you never keep resolutions? Resolutions are silly anyway. You don't need to set New Year's resolutions in order to change a habit. All of those sort of things. Because now let's go back and look at how acceptance and commitment therapy works. So you are you have this goal. Hopefully by now you've got your values that are leading to the goal, like we talked about. Now, this is what I love. Even if you're going to set, let's say that we're going to set the goal. I love this example of uh, I'm going to run a marathon. Okay? Um, kind of fun to sit back. You say, I'm gonna, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to run a marathon. And guess what your brain does? It shoots a little squirt of dopamine, this feel-good drug, to the pleasure reward center of your brain, and you're like, yeah, let's do it. Now, what acceptance and commitment therapy says is now step back and watch what the brain does with that. They call it the uh, the reason-giving machine, kind of more a little bit like making some excuses. But your brain's immediately going to say, okay, um, but it's cold outside. Um, I don't have a running buddy. Uh, boy, I, I don't want to hurt my knees. Um, I've read about that. I don't have good shoes. I don't have a training program. You know, I don't even know when a marathon is. I definitely don't have your brain's going to start going in overtime because what it's trying to do is the brain bless its little heart. It, it wants to just continue to do what it's doing right now. It's a little bit afraid of, <clears throat> excuse me, where you're going to take it next. It's afraid that uh, you're going to commit to run this marathon and you're just going to go crazy with this. And you're going to, who knows what the brain thinks you're going to do, but it's going to be something that's different than what it knows right now. And the brain's goal is to live forever. And it knows with, it knows what the, what the data is that it has to work with right now. So your brain's trying to hook you or fuse you to these stories. If it can fuse you to the you know, uh, I don't really know how to train for a marathon anyway. Well, guess what? You're done. If you hooked and fused to that story, if that becomes your truth, your belief, now you're not going to have to go out and do a web search and do the, find a, a training program and you're not going to actually have to do the work. So your brain's trying to hook or fuse you to stories that get you to stop from doing the work, whatever that work is, working toward that goal. So again, is, is that what your brain is doing when you maybe don't stay on your New Year's resolution for a couple of days? And then all, 
look at what your brain's going to say at that point. And that's where it goes into the, is it trying to get you to fuse to this story of resolutions are silly. You don't have to study your resolution. You never keep them anyway. So the key to success is coming back from these slips stronger than ever. And then course correcting, use that data to get yourself on the right path. So Norcross said, here are five science-based ways to restart your resolutions. Number one, give yourself a reality check. Norcross says that he often asks faltering resolvers if they experienced failure when learning a new skill ever, like learning an instrument, learning a support, a support, a sport. The answer, of course, is yes. People fail dozens and dozens of times, and they'll accept failure as part of that process. But only in behavior change, for some reason, is it different, Norcross says. In the psychological realm, we expect perfection. If we say that we're going to eat better, if we're going to eat clean from this day forward, we expect perfection. Why? Uh, you know, if we're on the, if we're on the, what did I say? Support field, sports field. Um, we don't expect perfection. We, we don't know how to shoot a free throw when we very first learn how, or we're not very good at it, but we practice, we practice, we practice. But for some reason in the psychological realm with behavioral change, we expect perfection. So, so give yourself a reality check, remove that expectation of perfection. Again, you've now hopefully got a value-based goal of, which is part of your resolution. And now we're just in, we're going to gather some data. You're going to fail. It's okay. Don't fuse to those stories that see this isn't going to work or this isn't for you or you're not the kind of person that keeps resolutions, any of those sort of things. So number two, Norcross says, reframe your resolution. So other research on New Year's resolutions has shown that people are more likely to succeed if their goals bring them immediate rather than delayed benefits. No surprise there, right? So enjoying the day-to-day pursuit of a resolution is a better predictor of success than working toward a lofty long-term payoff, says Caitlin Woolley, an associate professor of marketing at Cornell University and co-author of the this study on, on New Year's resolutions. She said the trick with long-term goals is to think about how they are also providing benefits in the moment. So if your initial resolution was to work out in order to improve your health, for example, you might see better results if you think about shorter-term goals, how fun was your workout, how nice it is to spend time with your friends, or listen to music while you sweat. That's something that's enjoyable right in the moment, Willie says. So that's what I love, too, is that now we got to go back to your values, right? If your value is is friendship, I mean, if your value is uh, you enjoy music or whatever those values are, play to those. Because here's the deal. It's that thing where... Um, somebody's going to say, well, I need to go to the gym. I need to take classes. I need to do whatever. Those are what you're fusing to is the, those stories. So if you're golden, if with this data, if you realize I can't get to the gym, I've only got 15 minutes. Now your brain's going to say, and 15 minutes isn't enough for a workout. So if your brain fuses to that, guess what you don't have to do? You don't have to work out for 15 minutes. Um, there are people that I know, and actually I do this all the time in my office, um, doing sets of pushups between clients, or you can do air squats or you name it, you can do anything you could. And I know this sounds silly, but, uh, you know, go use the restroom upstairs and use the stairs every day. Um, some people are going to say, that's not a big deal. Well, guess what? If you're fusing to the, that's not a big deal. That doesn't do me any good story. Then you don't have to do it. So, you know, here's what we're trying to do is just work toward these, these goals, these value-based goals. So, um, for get your value in there. If it's, if the value is fun for your workout, then have fun. It's okay. It's better than fusing to some, my workout isn't supposed to be fun story, because if that's the case, now you're going to do some workout you don't even like, and, and you're going to be more likely to not continue, uh, change your, no, find a buddy. That's another one. Number three, Having a resolution, buddy, doesn't make a lot of difference right away, Norcross says, but social support starts to make a big impact around February. I love that. Or, you know, about a month or so in. The research-informed explanation is that virtually anybody can get through a couple of weeks with a neutral or even toxic environment, but that begins to weigh heavily, he says. Having a friend or family member who's going through the same thing may give you the strength to stick to it. And even that concept of who somebody going through the same thing, there are groups on Facebook, there are other groups online where people have a shared experience with exercise 
exercise or with diet or whatever those goals. That's why, um, you know, people have told me a lot about Weight Watchers weigh-ins. Uh, you know, if you, that's a great one for acceptance and commitment therapy. If it's the, I don't want to be embarrassed, but it, 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 one of those, guess what? If you're, if you, if your brain can get you to fuse to that, I don't want to be embarrassed story, then you don't have to go there. You don't have to have the, some accountability buddy. You don't have to put yourself out there. You don't have to do that uncomfortable work. So that's why I love acceptance and commitment therapy and any of these kind of things. So find a buddy, uh, man, I, I ran for years. Shout out to my old friend, Tom Wagner, um, who is now living up in Rexburg, Idaho, but Tom and I ran together for years and years and years. And there were many, many times that I just knew well, Tom's going to be out there at four thirty, So I got to meet him out there. And once in a blue moon, you know, I would be out in front of his house. He would sleep in, or he would be out in front of my house. I would sleep in, but that was rare. Um, had my, had my running buddy and that led to a whole lot of fun times. We, we, we did a lot of races together and, uh, just solved all the world's problems while we were running. It was, it was a lot of fun. Um, number four, change your environment. Chances are something triggered you, um, to relapse, you know, to you, this lapse of your resolution. So whether it was a person or a place or a bad habit, Norcross said avoiding those triggers and replacing them with people, places, and things that will help you stick to your goal is crucial. He said you'll have to gradually re-expose yourself to triggers, but he said taking them out of the equation early on will make it easier to cement a new habit. And I love that even in the work with I, that I get to do with addiction is you are identifying the triggers. There, I, I, I talk about the habit cycle. There's a trigger, then there's a thought, and then there's an action. So there are a lot of triggers that are, are going to be biological hardwired or triggers that are somewhat unavoidable, but there are going to be triggers that you can manage. You know, if a trigger is being home alone, I'm going back to the addiction model. Um, guess what you can do? You know, when you know that you are going to be home alone, don't be home alone. Um, control that trigger. Go, go do something out in public. Um, go meet a friend, alter your work schedule, whatever it is. You can, you can modify those triggers. So I love that uh, Norcross is saying the same thing with habits. Change your environment. And the last one, he said, restart at the right time. Research suggests that starting a behavior change on a day that holds a psychological significance, whether that's the first of the month or birthday or an anniversary, may modestly improve your chances of success. So this is a funny one because I know sometimes in the acceptance and commitment therapy world, if somebody said, I'm going to eat better and they start on Monday and then by Wednesday they have stopped eating well and then they say okay well you can't start again on a Wednesday or a Thursday I'm going to wait till next Monday and actually now that it's the second week of the month I might as well wait till the next month now those are examples of if we fuse to that story then we don't have to get back on the the wagon as far as diet or exercise or whatever the resolution is so we want to be careful with that we want to avoid that but Norcross is saying that there is a moderate, modestly, um, it may modestly improve your chances of success to attach uh, a date or something that holds um, psychological psychological significance. And that's why people do the whole resolution thing to begin with is there's significance there. New year, new you, right? So one caveat, and this is what I love. He did. He, so he, he, he touches on that. Don't wait for a big day. If it's just another way to put off a healthy change. Um, we tell people to go when you are best ready. Norcross says without resorting to procrastination and yet another excuse. So I just pulled up a couple of very common resolutions and I want to go through these and just, uh, what have I got three or four of these here? And then I'll just throw the, the acceptance and commitment therapy version of these. I'll go and I'll make these quick. So common resolution. I am going to eat healthier. The smarter resolution, and, and I really do love this concept, I'm going to have at least two pieces of fruit a day and I'm going to eat a salad before every dinner. So that's a more measurable, that's something that is going to happen during the day, um, goes back to that. You're going to get a little bit more satisfaction knowing that you're doing something each day. And uh, why it works, um, picking one or two things to focus on is much more realistic than changing your entire diet. And, uh, that is to, oh, I didn't get the first, um, someone named Gans who wrote an article about this, uh, 
but instead of changing your entire diet, telling yourself when you're going to incorporate these changes during your day makes it more attainable, says Gans. Plus, focusing on what you should be eating helps you avoid a restrictive I-can't-eat-that mindset, which often just leads to a junk food binge. So the acceptance and commitment uh, therapy version of this is, let's say now that you are your goal, your new goal, your smarter resolution, I'm going to have at least two pieces of fruit a day and maybe eat a salad before dinner. And then let's say you go two, three, four, even a week, you know, four, four or five days, even a week, where you now realize and you recognize this happens, this is okay, we're human, that, oh my gosh, I haven't had a piece of fruit during this time, your brain's going to immediately go to the, okay, see, you can't even keep this one up, or you you know, you know don't even, uh, you haven't made it a priority to go get fruit, or whatever it is. So if your brain can get you to hook or fuse to that story, that this isn't going to work, see, you tried, you're no, you know, you're no good, you're a failure, whatever those are, then you don't have to do it again. You don't have to get back on the wagon. You don't have to say, okay, I'm going to go to the store, get some apples, banana, whatever it is, and I'm going to start this back up. There's the new data. There's the acceptance and commitment therapy model. So we've got uh, we've got something that is more tangible, a smarter resolution that's hopefully based on your values. And then if and when you recognize, again, because you know, you, there the chances are you are going to fail with psychological or behavioral change. You do not need to expect perfection, and then just look at that from a what's my brain trying to fuse me to? I see what you're trying to do there, brain. Move along. Nothing to see here. Where's that apple? That's what we're trying to do. So, uh, common resolution: I'm going to work out every day. Heard that one. I've kind of even said that one a time or two. Smart resolution: I'm going to exercise two or three days a week. Why it works: Going from zero to 100 just isn't realistic, says obesity specialist Spencer Nadolsky. Um, if fitness isn't a part of your daily routine and then you make a pact to hit the gym daily, you're going to burn yourself out. You're going to quit after a month. If that, a smarter approach, start hitting the gym a few days a week and that's something that actually works with your schedule or squeeze in a quick run during lunch or maybe you'll hit the gym while your kids are at basketball practice. It'll make you more likely to commit and stick to your new routine. Once you know you can commit to twice a week, you can gradually bump things up. Um, so, and that's a good one where if, even if it's, uh, okay, I'm going to go to the gym two or three days a week and now you're recognizing that because of your schedule or whatever it is that I can't even get to the gym, that's where your brain thinks, oh, that's an easy one. That's a layup for your brain. Your brain can say, see, you know, you can't even go to the gym. So then it's like, okay, now what do I do with that data? Now I can work with the, I can, I can do pushups. I can do sit-ups. I can do air squats. Um, you know, and that's where you might, one might say, I only have 10 minutes to run. I really do. Then it's like, uh, don't fuse to the, and 10 minutes isn't enough story. Go for it. You, 10 minutes is better than nothing. So let's go to another one. The common resolution. I'm going to land my dream job this year. Smarter resolution. I'll expand my professional network. And I work with this one a lot. I do a lot of business coaching. I do a lot of, uh, um, work with, uh, individuals who, you know, maybe they don't want to go down the traditional therapy route, but they really want help, um, in, in changing a job or something like that. And in this one, I think it's interesting because people will feel stuck if they just say, I need a new job. And then they just turn to indeed.com or ZipRecruiter or one of those and they start to just try to look for jobs. It will feel overwhelming. But if the goal is the smarter resolution is I'm going to expand my professional network. You know, that one's a little bit better. That one might be, I've had people here in the local area go to alumni events for their college or get involved in a chamber of commerce event or a, a better business bureau, um, breakfast or luncheon and just start to expand a professional network because sometimes those relationships are what might lead to the, the new career. Um, opportunities are found through people, says career expert Nicole Williams, former connection director at LinkedIn and author of Earn What You're Worth. Sending your resume out to a black hole job portal will not get you the job, she says, but having someone who can vouch for you will. 
So identify three or four people who are steps ahead of you in their careers, reach out to them. She says, there is no one perfect way to do it, but some research on LinkedIn uh, or do some research on LinkedIn. She also says you can tap into your existing network to see if someone is connected to a person at a certain position or organization that you're interested in. So just kind of bringing that awareness uh, of to friends or that I'm, I'm starting to kind of explore options or just put yourself out, out there more. So the acceptance and commitment therapy model there again is, um, well, I don't know anybody or I don't, I don't know when any of those events are. It's wild to just sit there and watch that even in a session where, and I, and that's why I kind of set that up with the, the business coaching, for example, because in the therapy world, again, um, no good therapist is going to say, you just need to do this because it's not going to be something that's coming from where that person is. But if it's, uh, I'm wondering if this would work, I'm wondering if, you know, from a coaching standpoint, you can, you can do a little bit more with that, um, where it might be, Hey, here's a, here's a, here's an idea. Here's something that's worked for other people. And then watch how that reason giving machine in the brain works. It would be, well, I don't, I don't know when any of those events are, or I can't get that time off of work or the brain just goes into that automatically. And so, okay, go ahead. And if you want to fuse to that, then you're stuck. And, and then you don't have to actually do the work of seeing if there are events that aren't during lunchtime or seeing if there are events that are on the weekend or, you know, basically doing the work, right? Okay, here's a good one. Uh, common resolution. I'm going to be a better husband or I'm going to be a better boyfriend or I'm going to be a better wife or be a better mom or any of those sort of things. And a smarter resolution is maybe going to be I'm going to try to be more present with my kids or I'm going to try to go on uh, be there more for my wife. I'm going to try to communicate more. I'm going to make an effort to apologize. I'm going to I'm just going to bring some awareness. I need something more tangible than I'm just going to be a better whatever person. Um, why it works. Uh, this smarter resolution generalized promises to be better and make your partner happier. Don't normally help you achieve the intimacy you're after, says marriage family therapist Paul Hokemeyer, PhD. Instead, you become more intimate with your partner when you deliver your promises through actions. Apologizing, for example, is a concrete action that deepens trust, respect, and intimacy, Hokemeyer says. Plus, apologizing lets your partner know that you see and hear them, which is important for any type of meaningful connection. Also, admitting that you are not perfect. Uh, it shows your vulnerability, which can make your partner feel safe in the relationship. And it's not just about saying, I was wrong. Simply acknowledging that you heard what your partner said and that you understand, or at least are trying to understand, is a good first step. It shows empathy. And if you listen to any virtual catch episodes, empathy is huge. That is a very big thing. The acceptance and commitment therapy goal or would, would be here. If it's, I'm going to make an, if the new smarter resolution is I'm going to make an effort to apologize when I should. And now step back and watch the reason giving machine, also known as the brain. There it's the, I don't even know how that, what would that would look like. I, um, I'm going to feel silly doing that. Um, I don't think my wife would really appreciate that. Believe all of those. If you want to fuse any of those stories, then you don't have to do the work. So, but notice what your brain's trying to do. It's trying to hook you and fuse you to these thoughts of, you know, she doesn't want to hear that anyway. I don't know. I don't know when I would apologize. I don't, you know, I feel, I feel awkward doing that. Um, we're too busy. I never have time. Your brain is trying desperately to get you to not have to do this uncomfortable work of starting to apologize or be more aware or have more empathy. So do not fall to that trap. Uh, let's see. Let's do, let's do one more. Um, this is a big one. I'm going to save money. There's the common resolution, smarter resolution. Oh, and this one just brings anxiety to me personally. I will create and maintain a budget. I'll even just go with, I'll create a budget. I'll even just go with, I'll become more aware of what I'm spending money on. Why it works, creating and sticking to a budget gives you the tools to help you save more, says Ted Braun, certified financial planner at Hoover Financial Advisors in Pennsylvania. If you make 50 grand a year, roughly 42K after taxes, and if your total fixed expenses are 2,500 a month, you should have $12,000 in the bank at the end of the year. And if you don't, you need to evaluate your discretionary spending, says Braun. There's no right or wrong way to create a budget, he said, but you want to make it as simple as possible so you stick with it. Google around or use a budget worksheet or create your own Excel spreadsheet. 
my, my, my mouth doesn't even know how to work with the word Excel because that leads to spreadsheet and those make me uncomfortable. Um, but see what my brain's trying to do? It's trying to fuse me to that, uh, I can't do a budget, um, story. Cause if I confuse and hook to that story, then I don't actually have to do a budget, right? But so that's, uh, that's a good one. Instead of I'm just going to save money, uh, start with, I'm going to create a budget. I'm going to become more aware of my finances. So, so there's, oh, and the acceptance and commitment therapy model, obviously you can see where that's going. It is going with the, um, number one is I don't know how the, I don't have the time. I don't, I don't even know the password. I've heard this one a lot. I don't even know the passwords of the bank account. Um, all of those sort of things. And those are all great. Your brain really wants to hook and fuse to those stories around money because you don't have to have the, the conversation with your partner and you don't have to then do the work. So instead of, you know, playing some tune blast at night, you'd have to maybe enter some data in a spreadsheet. So your brain really, really likes tune blast. I think that's what we're learning here at the end of this podcast, right? So what are the takeaways? Acceptance and commitment therapy. Um, first of all, let's go, kind of go back. The, the mind bully, drop the rope. The mind bully will be left on the other side of that pit holding this rope and uh, still yelling at you, trying to get you to believe or fuse to these things that he, is, he or she is telling you about yourself because if you believe them or fuse or hook to them, then you don't have to go out there and do the work. Um, resolutions. We want to go through the acceptance and commitment therapy model of having everybody's going to have the thoughts or feelings or emotions that they do. Those are called private experiences in acceptance and commitment therapy. You're going to have the hesitation. You're going to have the desire. You're going to have the goals of any of those kind of things because that's who you are. That's the baggage you bring to the, the, the table right now. A resolution that you want to do is because you want to do it because of all of these private experiences that you have. If someone else is telling you you shouldn't want that one, again, no one wants to be shit on and no one should be shitting on someone else. So this is your experience, your goal based on your values. Do a quick values check. Um, again, I'll have something on the show notes where you could download and it would be a link to this, uh, the confidence gaps, um, PDF file about, uh, doing some values work, but set your goals, your resolutions based on your individual values, things that are important to you. And then, um, Norcross was John Norcross. Here's what he said. Five things, uh, give yourself a reality check. Um, you know, making sure that, uh, if you're trying to learn that the reality check is only in behavioral changes is the expectation of perfection in the psychological realm. We expect perfection. Think of it as like learning a new sport, a new instrument, um, learning how to cook a new recipe, that sort of thing. There will be trial and error. Uh, but then you just, you're going to use that data to, to, to get back and work toward these resolutions. So there's number one, give yourself a reality check. Number two, reframe your resolution. And that's the one where you're likely to see succeed if you're doing more of enjoying a day-to-day pursuit of a resolution. Number three, find a buddy. Um, and I love how the Norcross said that virtually anybody can get through a couple of weeks with a neutral um, or even toxic environment, but then that begins to weigh heavily. And having a friend or family member who's going through the same thing will help you stick to it, especially in month two and, and, and beyond. Changing your environment, that's the one where, if you can, eliminate triggers. That's a good thing to do. And, um, well, actually I skipped this one. I had a note on that one that, uh, Norcross had said about changing your environment. He said, take a dessert, a habit many people try to kick. If you rarely eat dessert at home, but you tend to indulge during meals out, try to temporarily avoid the triggering behavior of eating in a restaurant because that'll help you get used to going without dessert. Once you have a strong habit to fall back on, then you can gradually reintroduce restaurant meals back into your life. Restarting at the right time. And this is the one where there is a tiny bit of psychological, um, truth to attaching a new behavior to the first of a month or a birthday or an anniversary. It might modestly improve your chances of success as a Norcross, but the caveat, don't wait for the big day if it's just another way to put off a healthy change. Then we went through the resolutions and what an acceptance and commitment therapy model looks like. So there you have it. Um, happy new year. 
Whenever you listen to this, 2019 is going to be a big one. I promise it is. It's going to be a big one if you want it to be a big one. I don't mean that to sound so cheesy as you just got to want it. You just got to believe. I mean, because there's some truth there. Obviously, you do. But but this is going to be the new year of uh, this acceptance and commitment therapy model. Even if you want this success, watch what your brain does. It's going to immediately say, yeah, I've tried it again. You don't understand my situation. You know, I'm a year older. Maybe I'm not where I want to be. And uh, those are all stories your brain's trying to get you to connect, fuse, hook to. Because if it can get you to hook to those things, if it can get you to hook to the, it never works for me anyway story, then you don't have to go do the work. And 2019 is going to be a year of, um, learning your values, setting some goals, and then working with that data, keeping on moving forward, becoming authentic, and uh, just becoming the person that you always thought you could be, really, or the person you never knew you could be, or the person that uh, you want to be, not everybody, not the one that everybody is telling you you should be. We're going to figure out you. Hey, here, uh, here is Tony again on Monday, December 30th, 2019. This was a part of the podcast where as I was wrapping it up, I was getting my, my mojo going. I was uh, on my soapbox. I'm preaching. And I said, here's the 2019. So I first wanted to jump in there and just have it say, here's two, and then uh, 2020. But I thought I'd just jump in here again and say, if you've stuck in there this long, thanks for hanging in there with me. Here truly is the 2020. This is a, a new year. I know it's cliched. I think I probably just said it in the previous version of the podcast, new year, new you, but uh, really is dialing those values. And just, uh, I know that phrase, authenticity, being authentic, vulnerable, those things at times can almost feel cliched or overused, but, but that really is the truth. I mean, here I am a year later and uh, the more people I get to work with, the more people I talk to, the more people I present in front of, that when you find out what truly is important to you, when you're not trying to go after those what we call socially compliant goals, when you're kind of going after things that are more important to you and you watch that whole process of unfolding happen, that's when the magic starts to happen. That's when you really start to feel that that confidence. Sure, you still have some up days, down days, um, frustrating days, but when you are living a life that is more driven by your values, what's important to you, you just feel this all around just sense of purpose. And that, my friends, truly is what drives happiness. So here is to 2020. This is the year. Um, I appreciate that you being here with me and listening to these podcasts. Uh, again, it's, it's wild to look a year down the road and see what this last year has brought to me, my family, the virtual couch, the practice. And I just am so grateful for that. And I look forward to, uh, to even making this year, uh, 2020 even better still. All right. Have a fantastic new year and I will, uh, I will see you next year on the virtual couch. Flying past our heads and out the other end. The pressures of the daily grind is wonderful. Elastic waste and rubber. Gold.